Radio. You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Pet Talk Naturally, the place where your animal friends and nature come together to find health, happiness, and harmony with all the natural things the earth has to offer. Your hosts, Dr. Kim Bloomer and Dr. Jeannie Thomason, each week will lead you through the practice of taking care of your pets with all the wonderful natural elements that nature provides. So, get ready to learn about natural nutrition, preventative pet health, and more with your hosts, Dr. Kim and Dr. Jeannie. I'm Kim Bloomer. And I'm Jeannie Thomason. And we're your hosts. Today's show is entitled Raw Meaty Pearly Whites because we're going to be speaking with veterinary dentist Dr. Yuan Hubert. And uh, he was referred to us by our good friend Dr. Tom Lonsdale, whom you've heard on the show um, a couple of times. And we're very excited about the show because it's going to be not only a different approach, but I think it's going to be eye-opening for everybody. So we're, we're really happy that you're listening today because this is one of the most important topics as regards the health of our carnivorous pets. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with Yuan. Time to take a walk down the path to happier and healthier pets. And while we're doing that, you get to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Naturally, Pet Talk Naturally will be right back. Does your dog have problems walking with its back legs? If so, your dog is one of 58 million dogs that suffer with problems with its rear leg, problems such as spinal myelopathy, arthritis, and hip dysplasia. Bottoms Up Leash helps your dog walk. It's a rear support harness that has won numerous awards, such as Dog Fancy's Editor's Choice Award, as Product of the Year, and it's been featured on CBS and Good Morning America. Visit the website www.seniorpetsupplies.com. There's nothing like a shaggy dog, baby. They're shagatelic. And this is the place to find out how to have harmony in the household with your pets. Oh, yeah. So stop by our pad every week and get switched on, baby. Switched on to the show that's all about attitude. Oh, behave. With your groovy host, pet edutainer Arden Moore. Yeah, baby, yeah. Every week on demand on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We're back, but our nature walk has just begun. Now, back to Pet Talk Naturally with your hosts, Dr. Kim and Dr. Jeannie. You are welcome. We are very happy to have you with us today. Thank you very much, Kim. Thank you, Jeannie. It's uh, a pleasure to be on the show, and thank you very much for inviting me and also for uh, mentioning Tom. A lot of Tom's work and, and meeting Tom had a lot to do with changing my philosophy, especially since I came into the UK. So I really look forward to the talk. I'll, I'll try and answer the questions in a precise manner. But um, I think it's also important that a few issues tonight are raised and discussed in such a way that for a change, the real truth will come out and, and be put on the table. That's our great wish too, Yuan. Now, um, Yuan is in the UK, but he hails from South Africa. So would you share with our audience a bit about your background, and then we're going to get into how you went into de- veterinary dentistry and um, talk about that a little bit. 
Sure, Tim. I qualified as a veterinary surgeon in 1990 from the Faculty of Veterinary Science at Honestapurt. However, it took me seven years to be selected, and in the interim, my studies were interrupted by military service, during which I was exposed to, and not from choice, during the military issues, I was introduced to traumatic facial dentistry or constructive, facial constructive surgery, and um, in that period, a lot of the discipline rubbed off on me from the human perspective. So I had, without asking for it, received a lot of human dental training fundamental principles, and it stayed with me. And eventually, when I got selected to go to vet school, I started working with vets straight away. And it was very clear within the first three years during my study that veterinary dentistry is something that's completely neglected, first of all. Secondly, that students are not taught anything about dentistry except a small division in their surgical course during their studies. And I decided my third year that if no one does it, then I'll try and do it, which I did. I was lucky to work under Frank Verstraate, who is now a professor at the University of Davis, California, teaching students to become veterinary dentists. So to, in essence, I've got a piece of paper hanging from the wall giving me permission to do what I do, but no one recognizes it, especially not the UK. The UK doesn't recognize me as a first opinion veterinary dentist, whereas my special interest is periodontal disease. And I thought it, it would be a good idea just to bring a few of these issues to the table and discuss it, a few things regarding oral health and the health implication on animals in general. And then also to highlight a few of the issues that Tom always raised and that he's been shut down and ridiculed for over the, especially the last three or four years, which is absolutely staggering to, to recognize someone who's done so much work and, and so much pioneering work to be so ridiculed is, is a staggering shame. So hopefully we can highlight a few things. The reason why I came to the UK was to broaden my horizons. I've been the only private practicing veterinary dentist in South Africa for 12 years, and I came to the UK in the hope to expand my, my experience with other colleagues. However, when I got here, it was like opening a can of worms. I couldn't believe the level of periodontal disease, the pathology, the misinformation, the poor recognition of, of periodontal disease in the UK, in the veterinary profession itself, even determined and deliberate attempts to undermine it or to talk away from it. And just the general way that our veterinary practice is conducted in the UK was came to a tremendous shock to me. In fact, it was a culture shock. And I came from a country with, which was still recently regarded as a third world country into a developed country, and I literally walked into a cesspit of, of pathology and the most horrific disease or disorder conditions that you can imagine. Well, Yuan, is in, in South Africa, just to back up a bit, in South Africa, is veterinary dentistry something that is, you know, a, a more, let's say, embraced profession um, in, you know, than it is, say, in the UK or even the United States? No, I wouldn't say that. What, what is there, however, is the prevalence of periodontal disease is far less because we live in a different country, we've got a different culture, and the incidence of periodontal disease is not as severe as it, as it is here, for instance, in the UK, but the misconception was always there. Again, dentistry was a small portion of my surgical course, and my colleagues or my, my class peers 
with, out of the 112 that qualified in 1990, I was the only one that was really interested in pursuing it further, and I did for 12 years. And to a large extent, it, it's so poorly understood. And I focused, my focus in South Africa was more on the technical side of assisting my colleagues to understand that preventative dentistry, or if you can proactively prevent the condition to develop to the extent that it is here in the UK, that it's beneficial to the animal's health. But I was so focused on the technical side, on, on trying to assist them to understand how to use the equipment properly, that I never got to the point, and, and I think they all fall in it at some stage, you get your one's judgment get clouded if you focus on one thing specifically to the extent that everything else doesn't matter anymore. And I never got to the point asking myself, sat down and, and take a deep breath and ask myself, well, why is this condition there in the first place? It was only when I got to the UK where it hit me like a tidal wave, where every 10 minutes I was confronted with an animal, either a dog or a cat, which teeth were literally rotting out of the sockets, that I realized there's something wrong. And that I started to read laterally and I started looking for sources and other issues or, or other sources of information to try and explain this horrendous situation. In fact, in the first few months in the UK, I felt that I lost my, my judgment altogether by trying to explain to people what was really going on. But they couldn't care less. They, they came in for a 10-minute appointment and all they wanted was to get it better, to treat the symptoms, and they wanted some drugs or whatever the case might be. And that's how Tom and I met. So um, I hope it's not a too long-winded answer, but South Africans and our conditions are completely different. The prevalence of, of the condition periodontal disease is probably the, of the lowest in the world, whereas in the UK it's probably the highest in the world. I think that you hit on exactly why you encountered that in the UK and probably would in this country as well, if, if you know, from the animals I'm around anyway, um, uh, that it was that they wanted the quick fix, you know, the teeth cleaned up, let's just address the symptom, get the teeth cleaned up, and, and, and they're on their way and can come back next year for a follow-up dental every year thereafter, never thinking about what was causing that initially. So I'm thinking that the animals are fed different in South Africa. So when you came to the UK, is that what you discovered, that it was... Um, for, well, let me back, let me ask it this way. What did you discover was was the problem behind why all of these animals were coming in needing dentals and all of them having such terrible teeth? And um, then then we'll get to the why behind that. I'm very glad you asked that question because, yes, that's what, what triggered my, my attention. I'll start with, and I hope you don't mind, I, I will start with cats. What I found was that 99% of cats that I dealt with had tremendous periodontal problems. But not only that, also a condition termed odontoclastic resorption lesions, where the crowns of the teeth literally fall a piece. They, they just drop into a thousand pieces, and you end up with an animal. If you want to do any rehabilitation, you end up with an animal that resembles a goldfish. You have to basically remove all the teeth altogether. And that made me think. I, I started to take specific history, and I tried to create a correlation, and I found a correlation in the following, that... In the UK, animals are, are dealt with and treated differently than in South Africa. Here, they are treated almost in an anthropomorphic way as furry little humans, especially 
cats are curfew. They're not allowed to hunt on their own, and it's because of the geographic situation in the country, it's far easier to curfew a cat indoors or keep them with a cat flap that you basically program and prevent them from going out. And these cats, who were only who had no choice but to feed on commercial food and never replenish their own food source with natural food, they were the ones that, that took the brunt the, the biggest, or the, took the biggest brunt. And then the dogs. So it, it created a pattern for me to see that if you feed them exclusively on commercial food, the pathology and the syndromes that develop, that coincide with that whole process, is unique and it's predictable. It became a predictable issue where in South Africa, yes, I dealt with it from time to time, but not as intense and not in, in the numbers that we're dealing with here. As you know, there's, there's 40 million people in this country on, on geographically on the area of a ninth of what I was used to in South Africa. So from an information perspective, it literally streamed through my doors and it was very easy to, to draw a correlation and it's, um, it's not anti-anecdotal as they like to, to sneer it off. This is literally walking through the doors. And when you do the history, when you take the history and to request the owners to, to divulge some of the information, they tell you straight, we keep this cat indoors because we are concerned that it might get run over and we feed the best and this is the issue. So it was quite easy to, to draw those extrapolations from that. I hope that answers the question. Yes, it, it does answer the question, and it also, it also goes to the fact that the, the owners said they feed the best food. This is what they've been conditioned to believe is, that the packaged commercial food is the best food to feed, and nobody is questioning why our, you know, our dogs and cats have such terrible teeth. It, it's not normal for them to have smelly breath and corroded teeth. Certainly, if you look at wild animals or their wild cousins, they do not have teeth like that. So why do our domesticated animals? And yet, what's interesting is the very people they rely on to teach them this, unfortunately, instead of learning ourselves before we bring a pet home, we rely on our veterinarians to teach us this. And yet, they're resisting, they're resisting um, the preventative measures, aren't they? Exactly. And besides that, something else that I just want to share with you. When I was in South Africa, and I'm ashamed to say that the industry used me initially, and again, that was, that was part of, of the progression of, and I, initially I believe the technical jargon or this marketing propaganda that they issued ahead, because, and you can use the argument, if you have a dog on the worst possible commercial food that you can imagine, and you put them on one of these so-called scientific formulated products, obviously there's going to be a difference, yes. The stool volume is going to drop. Yes, the coat is going to change. Yes, the animal is going to show better energy levels. Yes, the teeth might look different. But what I didn't realize was that they used me almost as an icon to, again, convince my colleagues to utilize this commercial crap that they call food. And um, Kim, what was astonishing was initially, and, and I just want to make this point clear, I think we can build on it and it will make a lot of sense to you then, was... When I, and I went on behalf of, of a company, a, a pet food company, as a veterinary field officer to my colleagues, but I couldn't convince them to use it because firstly they said, listen, we clinicians, we don't sell anything. Secondly, it's too expensive. And thirdly, the animals don't want to eat it. It's new. It's something new. So I had to go back to the corporate boardrooms and, and give some feedback to the 
managing directors and the presidents of these companies. And they said, well, that's plan A. We need a plan B and we need a plan C. We need to launch this stuff. So eventually what happened was that these colleagues of mine received consignment stock. They basically dumped a ton on each practice in the hope that they will sell it. And again, it didn't sell. So we had to revert to plan C, whereby, and we had a serious problem with palatability. Although, and the vet, the veterinarian that I worked with and is highly respected, I believe in all his endeavors, he was really working towards making something that is worthwhile. And, and this is the way we need to be careful. I, I don't want to criticize anyone because I, I'm the least that can criticize because I was brain dead 10 years ago. But if I can change, anybody can change. And that's where my criticism lies, that people are not prepared to look themselves in the mirror and say, what exactly am I busy with? My point is that when we couldn't get the palatability up to standard, there were measures taken to find something that will make this crack palatable. And that's exactly what they did. And then they converted it into small sample packets, as they call it, and again sent out a consignment of sample packets. And once the animals took on to that and the palatability showed it, the rest is history. Now, the problem lies, and this is my biggest criticism against my whole profession, is that they fell victim and they became intellectual prostitutes. Because now they sell the exact stuff that cause all these multiple syndromes that they treat, and they treat them as side effects. And they, they have a lucrative business, and the whole profession has changed from the mid-80s until where we are today, to a point where I cannot associate it with, it with it any longer. And that's why I stepped out of it. And that's why I'm speaking to you tonight, to try and bring across this message, that the public have fallen victim, and they are the victim of supervised neglect. And the ones that cause these problems are the ones they trust most at the moment. And I'm sorry to say it, and it sounds like a ridiculous statement, but that's essential reality of the whole situation. Well, and again, I noticed that you, you know, in some of the writing that I'd read that, and this happens in a lot of industries, um, you want it happen, and I mean as far as uh, animal industries, that rather than taking responsibility for where the culpability lies, it is often just thrust off into the public and blamed you. You're a terrible owner because you don't brush your dog's teeth or you're a terrible owner because um, you don't use the rubber bones we told you to use. You're a terrible owner because you don't um, have us bring your dog in or your cat in for a dentistry every year when really the responsibility for that lies squarely on the veterinary industry itself. My goodness, you've hit the nail exactly on the head. Do you mind if I give you a specific example of that that happened here in the UK as well. Norman Johnson is up in Scotland. Um, Norman is regarded as a dental specialist. And again, I've got this, this issue to bring forward. I'm a first opinion veterinary dentist. I regard myself as your first opinion dentist that you would go to under normal circumstances and when there's something seriously wrong and you then get referred to either a prostodontist, an endodontist or an orthodontist for children or a periodontist if you have problems with your gums. That's where my interests lie. But because of my viewpoint, because of my philosophy, there's no one in the world at this point in time, not Colin Harvey, not Peter Emily, or not Professor Carl Zetner in, in Europe that will moderate me because they will not allow my viewpoint and my philosophy to come out. However, they know 
but it's true, and, and Tom's as well. And this is why I've got the most incredible respect for Tom. If you look at chapter 14 of Raw Meaty Bones and chapter 7 of Work Wonders, it's the best literature concerning applied veterinary dentistry in the world. There's no one else that has ever written anything so profound than Tom did. All the others, and I've got all the other literature as far as veterinary dentistry is concerned, is focused on how to do something. How to do a root canal, how to correct an orthodontic crossbite, how to do an endodontic filling. Despite the fact that we've taken an animal with a completely different anatomy and tried to apply human dental principles onto that, they still find that acceptable. Now the point is, Norman Johnson came out of vet school and he developed an interest in, in veterinary dentistry. And eventually worked through diplomas and whatever they call it, himself up to the level where he calls himself a veterinary dental specialist. And I find it despicable because he doesn't even have the fundamental, the basic, basic fundamentals of dentistry. And the only person who communicated that was Peter Coutures. Peter Coutures, in, uh, it was in 1989 at the first British Veterinary Dental Association's proceedings, stood up and said that specifically and he was shot down in flames. And Peter Coutures is a human dentist. So what we have is human dentists coming, coming in and it's almost like the one eye that leads the blind. They started to implement certain things and they control the whole discipline up to this, to this day. Now with Norman Johnson, he was on BBC Radio 4 about two years ago. And they asked him specifically, well, Mr. Johnson, according to research and um, statistics, 75% of animals in the UK suffer, or 70% suffer from periodontal disease. And, and they wanted to know what are the vets going to do about it. And exactly what you mentioned earlier, that's what Norman said. Well, 70% of owners do not bring their animals to the, to the vets. Now Pfizer, when you go to a congress and they sponsor the afternoon lunch, their statistics say that 85% of animals over the age of three have serious periodontal disease. Now if you consider 70% against 85, it's significant in the sense that they couldn't tell the public that 85% of owners don't take their animals to the, to the vet, which would create an uproar. But 70% put you in a position where you say, well I'm not one of the 70, I'm one of the three out of 10 that do. And that's exactly right what you just mentioned. They put the blame on the poor owner that are taking the advice of someone who is firstly not even trained in it, secondly have no inclination ever to prevent this condition in the first place because it brings in all the other syndromes from arthritis down to hepatitis and, and diabetes and they are prepared to slot them in into 10 minute cycles and reap the benefits from it. Well I wanted to back up just a little bit where you were talking about the commercial food and just so the listeners can hear it from a from a veterinarian's perspective. Um, what is it about the commercial food that is so bad for their dog's teeth? Everybody thinks, well, we've gone from the canned tinned food to the hard, crunchy kibble. That must be cleaning the teeth somehow, right? Well, Jenny, first of all, it's not the teeth. I'm just going to give you a little bit of background. And the only person, again, who's ever highlighted this issue is Tom Lonsdale. I'm, let's take a puppy. A puppy gets born without any teeth. And you've got this wonderful smelly puppy breath that you have. 
and then they develop a set of baby teeth. And between four and a half to five months old, that pup needs to shed the baby teeth into a set of permanent teeth. Now, in order to do it, you've got modified bone that comes through epithelium or mucosa or the gum line itself. And anywhere else, nature does not allow exposed bone anywhere on the body ever in nature. If you look at the soldier who's been injured, traumatically injured, and you've got exposed bone, that extremity is in danger. It's in danger of going gangrenous. Now you need to ask yourself the question, when a tooth erupts and you look, let's take a canine for instance, a maxillary canine, that is modified exposed bone and something allows that exposed bone to be exposed without going gangrenous. And the reason for that is the immune system. So what we're dealing with, when I refer to periodontal disease, I'm referring to the animal's immune system, but people refer to the teeth. It's got nothing to do with the teeth. The only issue with the teeth is that whatever leaks out of the gingival sulcus, that small tooth, sometimes two and a half millimeter sulcus that overlies the teeth itself, where the junction between the mucosa and the teeth are, something leaks out of that. And the integrity of that local immune system there gets compromised by this stuff. And I, I'm hesitant to call it food because it's not food. It's commercial waste. It's all the waste from all the commercial processes and feed processes that are conglomerated together, cooked up and, and produced like you would bake a cake to the public with enhancements and, and palatability enhancers and all sorts of other things with very specific marketing propaganda and jargon to make it acceptable for humans to accept it from an emotional perspective. It is not food. And Tom highlighted that very clearly in his book, and no one seems to read it, and no one seems to take care or take notice of it. It's a compromised immune system. Tom is 100% correct when he talks about the so-called AIDS syndrome that you find in cats, and I go further and say that's prevalent in dogs as well. So when your teeth start rotting out of the socket, it's not the teeth. Those teeth stay pristine. Once they drop out from the bowl, once I've removed it, I can show you that especially in dogs, that there's no lesion whatsoever. Not on the enamel, not on the cement. There's no caries. In very, very specific cases, you might find caries lesions sometimes in the back of the mouth, but I also only found it in the UK. Caries lesions in dogs, when I was back in South Africa, I thought it only existed in textbooks. It was only when I got here that I found it. So, does that answer the question? Yes, it does, and we're going to take a short break. And we'll be right back because we have a lot more questions for Yuan. Time to take a walk down the path to happier and healthier pets. And while we're doing that, you get to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Naturally, Pet Talk Naturally. We'll be right back. Greetings, human. What planet? Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in paparazzi, candid pictures of you and your pet. 
For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Fluff your feathers, roll out your tongue, shine your fins, snap on your leashes, and grab your human. It's the Louisville Pet Lovers Expo. Two full days of pet-tastic fun that no pet lover should miss. Join us for shopping, the Barks and Couture Fashion Show, Dream Pet Wedding, Ultimate Pet Makeover, Pet Communicator, Rescue Me Pet Adoption, Service Dog Demonstration, and tons of fun contests. Bring your pets and join us at the Louisville Pet Lovers Expo, Saturday, September 27th, and Sunday, September 28th, at the Kentucky Expo Center. For more information, go to louisvillepetexpo.com. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog, and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander is up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Join us each week on Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Your host, pet expert and award-winning author, Amy Shojai, will talk about what makes you howl and what hisses you off. Pet Peeves, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We're back, but our nature walk has just begun. Now, back to Pet Talk Naturally with your hosts, Dr. Kim and Dr. Jeannie. We're back and we're speaking with Dr. Yuan Hubert, and uh, we're talking about our dogs and cats and ferrets, our, our carnivorous pets' health as regards their teeth. And... Um, I don't know if Jeannie had a response to what you said, but I'll um, hand over the mic to her in case she does before we um, before I ask you uh, some questions are about why is dentistry so doggone important that we do an entire show on that. No, my I, that answered my question, in fact, and then some. That that was very awesome. I don't know how many of our listeners really realize what you just were talking about with. But it's not really the teeth that's the problem, uh, that it's the, the whole immune system and, and the bone and, and so forth. That was a great explanation. Thank you. Well, Yuan, can you tell us why the teeth are so important? Why is this such an important issue for people to understand? Because Jeannie and I have talked about it, and we've elaborated it so much because we've done quite a few raw meaty shows and explained why raw meaty diet, and yet we still get questions um, from different uh, listeners, sometimes from you know our own personal consultations. What's interesting to me is they don't even understand why this packaged food is so terrible. I mean... Why are grains so bad? Why, why, and why is the tea so important? Can't we just get a dental and take care of it? And I know you answered that a little bit before, but if you can, you know, the way I was thinking of it, extrapolate, expound, and expose this so that people can really, really get their minds around why this is such an important issue for the overall health and well-being of their pets. Tim, it's, it's going to be difficult, but I'll try my utmost. Again, I want to reiterate, it's not the tea. It's the surrounding teeth, the periodontal structures. It's the alveolar socket that embeds the teeth. There's a periodontal ligament. When you bite on your teeth, there's a little bit of movement. And that means that the tooth is suspended 
in the alveolar socket on a ligament and surrounding that is tissue and right at the perimeter is a defense mechanism is the first local immune response it's the first line of an immune system defense now when you see something on the outside and unfortunately it's people have been hoodwinked they, they've been almost programmed to to be under the impression that in order to clean the teeth you correct the problem and by cleaning the teeth is simply hiding the problem if an animal's teeth are cleaned to me it's a barometer it's like someone and you know it very well the bedside manners of the thermometer the thermometer goes in and the stethoscope around the neck and then it goes over and they listen to the heart and then look at the thermometer and say mm, yes there's a there's a temperature reaction or not and from there they go on i look in a dog's mouth i look at the the, the, the gum sulcus I look at the condition of the enamel and I look whether there is anything leaking out from the sulcus down onto the teeth. And the whole issue surrounding tartar buildup is fundamentally flawed. That is not how tartar builds up. And a lot of the tartar that you find in a very severe case is necrotic alveolar bone that leaked out and that's why the teeth are loose. So we need a paradigm shift, a complete paradigm shift in that respect. And in order to do that, people need to recognize and as Tom has eloquently stated in all his literature, that it's not just the physicality of the food, it's not just the physical properties of the food. Dogs, and dogs are not omnivores. They are scavenger carnivores. Cats are obligate carnivores, and a dog is intermediate between a cat and things like baboons and bears and eventually the primates. Dogs are not omnivores. They are carnivores. They have rudimentary molars. In fact, in the maxilla, there's two rudimentary molars, and in the lower jaw, the mandible, there's three rudimentary molars. To be precise, the first mandibular molar is called the carnassial, that coincides with the fourth premolar in the maxilla, which is another carnassial, which doesn't occlude on each other. It's a scissor bite. It goes past each other for shearing and, and cutting through meat. There's no crushing involved whatsoever. And the other illusion is that they always eat the stomach contents. Most carnivores are so hungry when they hunt down a prey. And now I'm talking from, from my own experience and perspective from Africa. They are covered in, in the contents of the intestines. But that's not their main, main focus. They basically swallow everything down because they are hunger driven. And I, I want to go as far as say that Animals in the U.S. and animals in the U.K. do not know what physiological hunger is because they are treated as furry little humans and they are drawn into the same procedures and the, the, basically the same rituals that the, the household goes through and they basically overfeed them. 99% of them are overfed and undernourished but they don't realize that. And that's why it's important to understand that if the teeth are, if there's something that resembles dirt or anything on the teeth, it's way beyond the point where you could almost rectify it. And it's a serious flaw in the immune system. That's basically the, the main problem. And therein lies the, you know, you, you brought up an issue that I was going to actually ask you, and that was about the omnivore situation. I even recently had a conversation with my brother, and he said, well, dogs have evolved to omnivores, haven't they? And I thought, why is that being so perpetuated? Well, you know, dogs, you'll hand them a carrot, they'll eat it. You hand them a piece of bread, they'll eat it. You know, they're opportunistic. 
But that does not make them an omnivore. I mean, all you have to do is open their mouth and look at, like you just explained, you on the anatomy of the of the, the structure of those teeth. You know, I mean, anybody. You know, I, I typically I'll ask a question and say, well, what is a wolf's teeth? You know, look at a wolf's teeth. Look at your dog's teeth. Do you see any difference? And if you don't, then what does a wolf eat? And they have no problem answering you that. But for some reason, because of exactly what something else you said that we think they're furry little humans. That we just anthropomorphize and, you know, if we can eat vegetarian, then gosh, our dogs should. And, you know, and really we're trying to deny them their species. Exactly. And that is a tremendous insult to, to the species that they call animals. In fact, if you look at the new Animal Welfare Act of 2006, firstly, they now define animals as a legal entity. Animals are now considered like a person, a legal entity. Animals are now defined also in a legal sense with rights and duties, and on the despicable. We, we are really at the threshold of, of something enormous. It's either going to turn for the better, or we are we're going to be in the dark ages again for another five, six, seven thousand years. It's a high time that people wake up. Yes, dogs are not omnivores. A bear or a baboon is an omnivore, and you're quite right. But Kim, it's done, again, through marketing jargon, and, and very specific targeted marketing propaganda and euphemisms in order to get people to accept that. And I agree with you. I saw, saw dogs in Africa. If they're hungry enough, they eat soap. They would take a bar of soap for the oil in the soap and they would eat it. They will literally eat anything if they're hungry. But the animals in this country, they are not hungry. 75% of them are vastly overweight. They don't have any cartilage around the articulation facets and all their joints. They, they walk around like cripples. I think the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug cell or the, the amount of drugs that are sold in this country basically probably surpasses anything across the whole world. And, and people are proud of it. They, they don't have an issue with it. And it needs to stop. And it can only stop if we as humanity sit down and ask ourselves, what are we busy with? And, start, and especially ladies, women have intuition that far exceeds any logic that a man can ever produce. And 99% of my female clients or, t- or ladies know instinctively that something is wrong. They just can't pinpoint it. They can't put a finger on it. And it's time that we change. And we can change without fear of loss. We can change without worrying about ridicule. Simply just sanction them by walking away. And, and I shared that with Tom two, three years ago. And that's what I'm doing now. And I don't need to, to go into any technical details, whatever, that I don't endorse it. They stay away. They don't use my name. When you'll say, vet's first choice, I say, well, I'm not a vet. I'm a veterinary dentist, and it's certainly not my first choice. And I tell you now, under your full commercial liability, stop peddling your products under the auspices of my name. It's going to end. It's finished. Your time's over. The carte blanche is over. Amen. I couldn't have said that any better, and I'm glad that you said that. You know, and, and so let's talk about some of uh, some of what's happening with that, Yuan, because, you know, we see people more and more, you know, I, it might be funny occasionally, but dressing our animals up like babies or toddlers or infants, we see them, um, you know, wanting to feed them that way. And I, I don't, I mean, I love my dog and I know Jeannie loves hers and we, we love our animals, um, but we want to treat them, to them, being treated according to their species is dignity. And so one of those things is, you know, it, it, it must be really difficult when you don't have a voice to say, you know what, I really don't want to eat that crunchy stuff in that bowl every day. I mean, I am a carnivore. I'd prefer to eat, 
you know, raw meat and bones, can't you give me that? They can't actually say that to you. They eat what they need to to survive because they, you know, that's that's instinctive. You you want to survive. You want to live. So they they can't tell us, and yet their bodies are telling us over and over and over again as we add insult to injury with over vaccinating. That's a, an entirely other issue. But we add that, and then all the drugs on top of it. And so the status quo wants us to remain quiet on this. So they put out propaganda stating that. Um, you know, you need to just, you know, brush, brush your pet's teeth and get a dental done every year and, you know, feed them a little rubber bone, give them a little rubber bone to chew on and play with, and they'll be happy. Um, you know, and that, that's, that's responsible care of your pet. When in rea- and, and then turn around and say, never feed, you know, raw meat, never feed raw bones because they'll choke on them. And, you know, my response typically is they can choke on a piece of kibble much more readily because that's, that, they don't chew it. They inhale it. Because their their teeth weren't designed to chew, their teeth were designed to shred, rip, and tear and shear. So um, let's talk about that a little bit and how your reaction to this um, constantly this 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 what we're told that you must brush your dog's teeth every day and your cat's teeth for them to be healthy. How insulting that must be to those animals. Well, Kim, I think to a large extent they are are busy painting themselves literally into a corner with their own legislation because you're going to get to a point where someone is going to advise someone to brush a cat's teeth and, and an owner is going to be get really mauled to a, to, into a serious situation. And secondly, they've now entrenched in the legislation that they need to firstly look at what, where they are housed, their, their housing environment, and the second most important is what they eat. <laughs> so it's, it's not going to take long before these issues are really coming to the fore. However, rather than trying to disagree with these multinationals and, and especially the PRO and, and the whole mechanism around spinning and whatever, I just walked away from it. And you mentioned earlier tonight that when you utilize a lot of energy, when you spend a lot of energy and you, you drain yourself, it becomes non-productive and you become frustrated and you become aggressive and eventually disillusioned. I'm at this point in time, and hopefully it, it shows in my voice, or you can hear it in my voice, I'm completely the opposite. For the first time in my life, I, I've never been so determined and so focused on creating something else, and it keeps me so busy. My actions speak currently so loud that people hardly hear what I say. And I don't need to write anything, I do it. I, I, and I get results. At this point in time, I deal with two ground racetracks, just to come to your point about, well, yes, that they don't have a choice what goes into the bowl. The way I try to explain to people is when they say, well, if I give them bones, they start fighting. And I said, well, there's a message in there. If an animal fights around a bone, or if it defends a bone and growls at you, that should be a message to you. They don't growl when you put that other sludge in the bowl, because it's, they know they'll have to force themselves, and, and through the course of the day, try and work that stuff through their digestive system. But to put it on a bone... And it will literally try and take your hand off if you take it away from them. And basically what I think we should do is is just return to nature. Use the power of nature. Use the intuition. Follow your heart rather than than your head. Stop reading this marketing jargon. Challenging your vet on on what they say. Don't just accept that they're there on a, a little pedestal with a white jacket and a stethoscope around the neck. That's all a marketing impression and playing out an actor's role. It's time that we, that we create what, what is supposed to be happening. That cybernetic 
relationship between every single organism on this planet. And then we'll move mountains within matters of months. And it's very close. I know that for a fact. I can sense it. I can feel it on a daily basis. And, and that's why I was prepared to, to come on your show and, and speak frankly about it. I'm not concerned. I don't have any fears. And if anyone wants to challenge me, they're more than welcome. Because it's now time. And it, it took a while. It took me it's about five years to really get the penny to drop. But now it's, it's over and done with. And the litters of pups that are under my care that's been raised on raw meaty bones stand out. They speak for themselves. People are now walking and say, what on earth is going on with these pups? How, how do they manage themselves? And I haven't even spoken about the pathology that you normally find in the grounds. That could be a discussion on its own as well. But I believe the, the change is imminent. It's, um, it, it started as drip, 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 but it's going to be a tidal wave within the next two or three years, no doubt. I'm just wondering if you could share even just one story with us where you have had a, a, a client switch their dogs from their regular commercial diet to raw meaty bones and some of the changes that were noticeable. Junior, I can share multiple with you, um, and, and I'm also prepared to say that I think I'm probably one of the vets in the world that's seen the most tears that you can imagine, because in South Africa, being a first opinion veterinary dentist, no one referred animals to me unless it was really a crisis. They knew, and, and South African vets will endorse that. If there was really a problem, then they were prepared to send an animal to me. So it was always on the back foot. I always had to do what I term rehabilitation, I had to literally reconstruct an animal's jaw and often lose many of the teeth that, that would otherwise be still functional. And it was only since I got into the UK. And one specific example is a very good friend of mine, Ken Woodacre. He's an, he's an animal osteopath. He was trained for 30, for, well, he, he trained and he did what he did for 30 years. He was prosecuted and convicted by the RSPCA for, for being cruelty to an animal, which was completely out of order and out of line. Needless to say, they got a, a, a young German shepherd pub and he asked me what should they feed it. And I said, well, Ken, first of all, you don't vaccinate it, and secondly, you start with this. And, and we started with a regime out of raw meaty bone, almost 18 months old. It's the size of... A, a little grizzly bear, it is as strong as a grizzly bear, it, it's never been ill one second day in its life. It's never, it doesn't know what vomiting means, it does not know what, what diarrhea means. And uh, now people, because Ken still see ground owners, they come and that black German shepherd basically turned people's minds around. Because they ask, what's, what's happening, or what do you do to this dog to give him this demeanor and, and this presence? And then Ken just replies that these state raw meat events. That's all. Well, I know Jeannie had another special question that might be just a tad off topic, but I think it's appropriate to answer this now. You are a veterinary dentist. So, Jeannie, go ahead and ask him that question that we discussed yesterday. <laughs> well, I, I'm trying to think of how to put it, especially in, in light of, of knowing a little bit more about you now. But I think a lot of people are going to wonder, if you're a veterinary dentist and you are telling your clients to feed their dogs raw meaty bones um, and they are doing so, then doesn't that take money away from you? I mean, if they don't need to come to you anymore? I'm so grateful that you asked this question. First, there is no money. If you speak to Ron Paul, he'll tell you that the Federal Reserve needs to be abolished because we're dealing with a currency that is basically 
uh, instrument or to based on debt, a debt instrument based on, on our promise to pay, so there is no money. And secondly, I would be the first one to put down all my tools if I could establish that. It, it is a paradox. I do what I do because there's a necessity for it, not because I want to do it. I want to live. I've got two kids, I've got a wonderful family, and there's a planet that is going down the tubes, and I'm prepared and I want to rehabilitate that as well. So I'll be the first one to put it down. But I can't because people don't pay attention. They're more interested in gossip magazines, what goes on in the sport world and what goes on on Fox News, rather than addressing their own issues, their own financial issues, and their own emotional issues. And then secondly, their responsibility and accountability towards domesticated animals, which is a reflection of how we treat this planet. Yes, it is. And that was probably one of the most noble answers I've ever heard. And I don't even know how we can follow up from that. I, I think a couple of questions that we might want to go ahead and address at this point, Yuan, because that, that was a fantastic answer, is we've had a couple of, we have a new listener, Terry. Hello, Terry. I'm glad that you're listening. And Janine. And Terry had a couple of questions that go to the raw food. And I really think that part of this, you know, these questions are because people are really wanting to do what's best for their uh, pets. And by asking these kind of questions, it gives them some peace of mind that, you know, I really think that we've gotten away from nature so much that we don't know what, what um, our dogs and cats are capable of. We don't even know... We don't even know enough how to feed ourselves properly anymore unless it's a TV dinner, you know. So these questions, I think, are, are pretty valid ones and good ones for people to hear because they may be thinking it and not asking it. So let me just grab those and ask you a couple of them. One of her questions was... Um, you know, she is looking into green tripe, which I believe that you and Dr. Lonsdale are, are, are fond of um, having, uh, you know, feed the whole animal to to our dogs and cats. So she said she's looked into different sources, and one of the things that she's learned, and I and I, you know, this is becoming its own industry also, was that one said that they sh- that these the green tripe should be rinsed to remove charcoal, which is how they clean it, and the other one says just feed it how it is. And I have a, a suspicion I know what you're going to answer here, but could you address that? Because I think what they're being told a lot of times by different companies who supply this could be that, you know, well, you got to be careful of the bacteria. Well, the bacteria side is such an euphemism, and it's, it's been so exploited from, from the spinning perspective. I don't, I don't even comment on that one thing. The fundamental rule or the rule that I would hold is the more natural you can get, the better. And follow your own instincts. Don't adhere to pressure from any commercial entity to try and convince you to do anything that they want. I believe that that's the way we're going to do it. It's starve this beast by literally walking away. I, I live my life by choice, not by corporate design. And I'm the record to deny any corporate activity, any corporate association. I'm an individualist. I'm not a collectivist. And we're going to take back this planet through this means. And yes, our, our animals are going to teach us because they have an emotional role to play. And people, when, when they eventually err in, in their methods and whatever, you learn a lesson. I've seen people and, and spoken to people that afterwards came and said, you know what, this whole process was one of the dearest emotional experiences I ever lived in my whole life. And I think the animals play that role. And they do it in a mute way. They don't speak to us. But emotionally, we're connected to it. And that's definitely going to, to affect us in the long run. So essentially to answer that, 
whatever it comes, do it as natural as possible. These animals have hydrochloric acid in their stomach three times the content that we have. They evolved over thousands of years with these organisms, and it's time that we stop using small organisms as boogeymen and, and drive and instill fear in people. It's not necessary. Right, you mean a dog will eat roadkill. <laughs> You know, they have the ability to eat things that we cannot, you know, just weren't designed to. Um, another thing that cropped up, which was completely mind-boggling to me, was that, you know, um, our, the, the wild cousins kill prey and eat it fresh. Now, they don't always eat the whole animal. They might save it for later. But the argument with this one so-called expert was that, um, you know, she has changed her mind that, you know, raw meaty bones aren't so great because we're feeding it, um, you know, frozen and it's not a fresh kill and blah, blah, blah. And I know what my response would be to that, but I'm curious to hear what yours would be that, you know, in other words, you know, these since it's not a fresh kill, the bones aren't as pliable. Well, again, we can, we can split down and go into a reductionist method and speak for three hours on that. But essentially, my viewpoint is that we should look at what we're dealing with. We are not dealing with pentathlon athletes that push themselves to their physiological limits. They are more than ample. And in comparison, if you do a risk assessment from this commercial crap that people don't even know what goes into the bag, the processes involved to, to saturate or to stabilize the fatty acids and all the other things that go into it, antioxidants or whatever. To, to place an estimate on that compared to what you have when you've got, even if it's an animal that's, that's a few days old or whatever, is, is as far as I'm concerned, negligible. You, you shouldn't argue around those issues. It's a question of whether you see the validity of having a biologically appropriate diet, yes or no. And if you want to discuss all these other issues, I, I do not have the time or the inclination to go into it and, and pretend that I'm very clever or technically superior to someone else. It's not necessary. Again, you're encouraging our audience to take the initiative and you know get educated to make and be empowered to make your own decisions for your own animals and wise ones based upon their anatomy and their species and their own structure and not ours. Um, the other question would be, is it possible to be feeding too much meat? Is there too, could there be too much protein as regards you know, growth? I wouldn't say too much protein. Essentially what you do when you feed, and this is historically what happened, how the veterinary profession got into or to having the door opened with this commercial food. The criticism around just feeding, feeding meat, you end up with these metabolic conditions with high levels of phosphorus and low levels of calcium with all, all the skeletal deformities and skeletal disorders that you do encounter. So yes, it's important. Again, people shouldn't be lazy. They should read. I, I strongly suggest that everyone reads Tom Lonsdale's Raw Meaty Bones at least once and Work Wonders at least once. Then you will understand that there is a balance. There, in everything in life there is balance. And if you just feed meat out of fear that the teeth might break down, you're going to run into trouble. And you're going to run into digestive issues with diarrhea and the, the other. The two minerals, calcium and phosphorus, has got a specific natural balance and it's put there on our behalf by Mother Nature. It doesn't come from a lab. I don't take any lab issues or, or lab results as the control issue or as the, the gospel. It comes from nature. And the closer you can get to nature, the better. So bottom line, people need to 
stop listening to <laughs> um, the propaganda, as you've said, or the, the rhetoric. And um, just really, really, I mean, I, I would venture to say a lot of people watch Wild Discovery and you've seen how the wild animals eat. And our domesticated dogs and cats and other carnivorous pets haven't, haven't I mean, they're still basically the same DNA, um, same structure, maybe in, internally, not externally. And so the reason why the health of of the mouth is so important is because it it, it, it um, as you talked earlier it goes to the entire immune system and you know what Yuan they have heard Jeannie and I talk about the immune system so often that that should just really click in that should all make sense it should all come together and begin to you know really open people's eyes scales should fall and people should go aha they should get this aha and say exactly this is exactly what what it all means it means the total health of my pet not parts, not symptoms, but total health and looking at the body as a whole and, you know, those um, stinky rotting teeth are a symptom of what's going wrong in the entire body, but we can turn that around by just using common sense and feeding them what their species need to thrive. Is that it in a nutshell, would you say? Tim, that's very well put. Yes, it's essentially the oral cavity is a reflection of the animal's immune status and overall health. You cannot see liver disease unless it's terminal or at least it's very far advanced. You cannot see kidney disease unless it's very far advanced. You can see skin problems, but the oral cavity and especially around the gum line, that is the closest and very accurate barometer that I found. And in my experience in 17 years, it's never faulted on me. When I do find a problem there, it literally leads me elsewhere to one of the other organ systems and, and when you investigate, you will find it. They are all interrelated. They are all very closely related. And there's a predictable consequence. If you find lesions in your oral cavity, you will also find it elsewhere. Whereas at this point in time, the whole head is ignored. For what reason? I cannot tell. I wish I knew. But it's ignored and it's, it's, they go immediately into blood profiles or ultrasound or x-rays and all other diagnostic processes except looking at an animal from the tip of the nose to the tip of the tail. And my mentor, my veterinary mentor, that taught me, he taught me on hands how to use my five senses and my two hands, and, and I thank goodness for the, for the logic in it, because it, it helped me tremendously in, in my pursuit. And at this point in time, it turned me into a quest. This needs to stop. We need to stop this commercial entity dead in its tracks, and we can do it by not attacking them. Not through class action, not through legal action, not through conflict creation, by simply walking away. Let the stuff rot on the shelves, let them use it to, to cultivate mushrooms if they wish to, but it's going to disappear. I am thinking it currently out of existence. It does not exist in my reality any longer, and it's going to disappear. So wherever you are, take note of it, it's going to disappear. And I will not fight you, and if you try to fight me, you're going to deal with something else. So... From that perspective, I hope that it gave you a reasonable background on my philosophy, and I'm serious about it, Tim, and it's very nice discussing these issues. You can do it again if you want to, but essentially that's where it lies. It lies with the people, with the owners, with the animals, to sit down and say, like, what am I dealing with, and where am I going from here? There's no excuse from today on this. And that is not... That, you know, what he's saying is turn from the reductionist thinking, which they've heard um, Dr. Blake say here before, and turn to the quantum thinking. And it's, it, you know, Jeannie and I use this euphemism that, you know, we've engaged the bully and, you know, they're a big 
bully, so we just turn our back on them, and we're engaging you, the crowd, the audience, uh, to, you know, for the paradigm shift. And you, you've actually said, and I, I like this, that you said um, authorities only have perceived power because we voted them in. And so we don't need to convince, argue, or threaten. Just turn around, look at nature, follow the fundamental laws of nature, and take back control through making our own decisions and not handing our decisions on a platter to the bully. And, and, and yes, we definitely don't only want you on to come back, but as we look to in the new year doing um, some um, seminars, that he will be one of our seminar seminar presenters, and we're not talking events; we're just talking monthly seminars. So um, that is just in the in the thought processes right now. So as we evolve, you know, as we roll that out, he would it would be wonderful to have an, you know one of the seminars taught exactly, you know, for people to come in and learn, listen and heed what Yuan has to share. So we've been very happy to have you with us today, Yuan, and we do look forward to having you again. So if you have any parting words for our audience, please do so now, and we'll close out the show for this week. Well, thank you very much. I won't overstay my hospitality, other than just to reiterate what you also just said. We, we need to take back our own power, and we can do it in, in a way that's compassionate. We can do it with empathy and with love, but always also with firmness. Tim, this multinational corporation of globalization of everything that moves and lives has, has seen its threshold. It's time that we stop the dead in its tracks. You've heard me tonight speak. You haven't seen what I have. I've got probably every single condition that you can think of that, that occurs in a cat or a dog. I haven't dealt much with ferrets, but with dogs and cats, every single condition that you can imagine I dealt with, and I've got clinical images of that that I dealt with myself. None of my slides or my images are from textbooks. They're all from own experience. So it would be wonderful. I love the people of America, not the corporation USA. I'm talking about the people. And you as, as a humanity or as a population of almost 300 million people are the ones that we look for for that mental paradigm shift that will stop this planet from being enslaved. It's time that the truth set us all free and that we do what, what we were intended to be, to live on a paradise on earth, not in this jungle of deception and incredible hideous insult to these animals. And with that, thank you so much. I look forward to any time. You're more than welcome to bring me back. And thank you so much for being kind and wonderful host. I really appreciate that. The pleasure was all ours and we know that our audience is going to feel the same way. Please visit... Dr. Yuan Yobert's website at www.i2i.cc. And let me spell that for you. It's I like our eyeballs. E-Y-E, the number two, E-Y-E dot C-C. And you can learn more about him there. And yes, you can also actually find the links to Dr. Tom Lonsdale's uh, books on that site. And I, again, I'm going to... agree with him and second the motion that everybody read both books, Work Wonders and Raw Meaty Bones. Both of those books are very eye-opening, they're very right on, and they're very matter-of-fact, makes it very simple to understand what we've discussed here today. And we look forward to having uh, you on back with us. You can find Jeannie's website at thewholedog.org. Her blog is wholedognews.com. And her natural rearing forums at wholedogforums.com. I'm at aspenbloompetcare.com. And Shadrach does all my blogging for me at bark-in-blog.com. That's all for this week. In a spirit of love and truth, we hope you all have a tail-wagging week. 
pets and nature come together every week on Pet Talk Naturally with your hosts, Dr. Kim Bloomer and Dr. Jeannie Thomason. Learn how to care for your pets with all the wonderful natural elements that nature has to offer so your pets can live a happy, healthy, and harmonious life. Pet Talk Naturally, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Naturally.